Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. We're going to talk about the comics that were released on the 20th of February, 2019. But first, we're going to talk about the solicitations that were just released, uh, unofficially released today, leaked today by your uncle and mine, Rich Johnson. And um, there's some big stuff that that is happening in May of 2019. A couple of things I would really like to spend some time talking about um vince you had texted zach and i earlier today with one particular bit of news that you were super jazzed about so why don't we start there um yeah what what is this thing called the uh leviathan superman leviathan rising special yes number one um which is written by brian michael bendis Matt Fraction, Greg Rucka, and Mark Andreco. Um, so the big news here is obviously Matt Fraction at DC, which is something that I think we've talked about on the show because there had been rumors that there had been rumors basically since a, maybe a, a month or two after we found out that Bendis was going to be at DC, he had said something about we tried to get uh Matt Fraction on a Jimmy Olsen book, but it but things fell through. It didn't work out. Well, lo and behold, we're getting a Matt Fraction uh Jimmy Olsen book out of this. And it's tying into Leviathan Rising somehow. Now uh we're also Do go we ahead. know that the book is actually happening or just that he's doing a story in this issue? No. It says it, like in the solicit that I that I think it's setting up for that. Yeah, tease up a new ongoing series for Jimmy Olsen by writer Matt Fraction and Man. Steve Lieber. Steve Lieber, by yep. the way. Yep. Um, I read a lot of Lieber in my Detective Comics uh, read through. He he was some of his early superhero art was in there, um, but he's been over at Marvel for the last few years doing some Spider stuff. Usually, um, and that stuff kicks so much ass. And I, he's going to be great on a Jimmy Olsen book. I can't he wait. Was with Nick Spencer on Nick Spencer's last good book, Superior Foes of Spider Man. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, of course, more Greg Rucka, which is always nice to see. Um. Writing a Lois Lane book, which I think we also talked on the show maybe a couple weeks ago about how we thought that that was a, a black label. We right? thought that that was that was rumored as a black label book, but I think that was just probably somebody in the background getting their wires yeah. crossed because it's it's part of Leviathan Rising again. So and then the artist on that is Mike Perkins, uh, most recently seen Green Lanterns. Maybe. Maybe. I think that's right. Yes. Um. At least at at least at DC, I think. But anyway, Matt Fraction, Steve Lieber, you guys. They. That was like one of my favorite issues of Hawkeye. Was the hurricane issue that they did together? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is good news. Is anyone sort of surprised that these are launching out of the same event? Mm, not considering um not considering the way that Bendis kind of likes to do these things, you know. I think I guess he's got, he's got a track record for this. DC has a track record. I mean, this is kind of the way that superhero comics, yeah, I, work. These I would days. just think that a lowest series would have came first. I guess. Well, how many years have we been? That is true. That is true. Yeah. You know, there's never a bad time for a Lois Lane series. No. Um, I mean, this is also the first time that there has been a a new super series like obviously 
Superman in action relaunched under Bendis's pen, but this is the first new super series since the start of Rebirth, right? Um, I think so, yeah. I think so. I mean, I know that Rebirth really helped Superman out in terms of getting the character back to a much better place than than it was during uh, the New 52. But this feels like the real next step in the rehabilitation of Superman, right? Like the... the um, uh, you know, just like the, the... For so long, all the spinoff books that weren't based around superheroes came from the Bat line. Right, there were always new bat spinoffs, and the bat line was able to do stuff like Gotham Central, like Gotham City Sirens, where it was just a different style of book than you would get normally from other the different style of spinoff you would get from other books. This feels like the first time that the Superman line has been considered the same way. It was considered the same sort of source material in quite some time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very good thing. Yeah, I mean, Batman and Superman both have, like, their own families, but Bat- Batman's family has spun off so many more titles than Superman's family ever did, I right. think. And part of that is that is that and... Batman's family tends to be crime fighters. Yeah. Right. And I bet we're not that far from a uh, a Superboy ongoing of some kind. Oh, that that'd be great. Whether that's Connor or John. That'd be yeah. awesome. Uh, all right. Anything else about these particular books? The super books. Um. um... I don't guess so. I mean, I, I guess I don't have a lot to say, but they are like the thing I'm most excited about right now at DC. Agreed. Um, all right. Well, we should also talk about, um, I guess we'll start with uh, something that kind of actually broke after we recorded last week, which was the uh, the year of the villain, which is the name of DC's 25 cent comic released in may that's not quite a new comic a free comic book day release um much like last year's dc nation number zero was not uh a free comic book day release but was just also a quarter um i don't quite get the the rationale behind this but that's okay um zach i know you had some thoughts about this you shared on twitter the other day so what do you think about this uh year of the villain I mean, I just don't know how we're going to do it. We barely got through a, a month of villains, and now we've got to do a whole dang year? <laughs> there it is. There it is. I just don't think my heart can take it, and there's not enough room on my body to tattoo once we finish. <laughs> Here's my question. Is this simply a title for this issue, or are they going to really lean into this year of the villain thing? I think they're going to lean into it pretty hard because, like, we've got the Leviathan Rising thing. Seems like Tom King's going to go pretty hard on the Bane train. Um, <laughs> the, uh, like, Snyder's Justice League is very villain-centric. Apparently Batman Who Laughs is going to still be a thing. Um, yeah, no, I think they're I think they're going all in. Do you agree, Vince? Yeah. Yes, I think so. See, I kind of feel like this is one of those things where they needed a hook for the free comic book day thing. And so that's where they're going. But wouldn't you think they'd announce 2019 being the year of the villain, not five months into 2019? <laughs> I don't know. I I think with the... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, fiscal year. Oh. It's the fiscal year of the villain. <laughs> Well, I think what they're trying to know, because I think what I think your point is well taken, Brian, except that um, 
I think they're going to want something beyond Heroes in Crisis. And if Heroes in Crisis ends in, what, June? No, May. It ends with this... May. May, yes. Sorry, I'm... Yeah. I'm getting... Yeah. Uh, May. Then they're going to want, like, the next thing after that. And if it's some sort of villain-centric event or or direction for the line that's going to happen after heroes in crisis so that heroes in crisis gets its day in the sun and then and then the villains do okay i'd imagine that's the thinking here do you guys have any thoughts about this one shot um it just feels like the it feels like the the dc uh nation thing that you were talking about um, I'm sure it's just slices of stories that were already in the works anyway. And, uh, and they just put it in some, I think DC likes to do this to jumpstart people's interests once in a while. But why, uh, why, why isn't this just one of their free comic book day offerings? Cause they don't do that anymore. They don't, they don't do new material as free comics anymore they haven't done that in a I few mean, years they're doing so. f- free new previews of ink and zoom books that aren't out yet oh those aren't those don't count yeah that's i mean i i do think that's different they don't i mean when's the last time they did a free comic book day book that contained new superhero material that mattered to their was it the trinity war thing that would be my guess, yeah. That's the last time I remember going to Free Comic Book Day and needing to get that issue. And that was what, like 2012? Yeah, 2012, 2013, Jeez, something like wow. that. Um, I mean, just because they're not doing it right now doesn't mean they shouldn't be doing it right now. Mm, that's true. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wonder if there's like this 25 cent thing. I wonder if it has something to do with. I wonder if there's like some behind the scenes reason, like why? the diamond reason, like they wanna they wanna be the the top selling book of the month or something. Maybe. Oh, I could definitely see that being it. Yeah, especially with some of the stuff we've talked about. Yeah, like this will, if this is on the counter of every comic shop in the country for a quarter, it's gonna sell a ton of copies. Y- yeah. Yeah, and like honestly, like it's pretty well in line with like the dollar issue that they used to do sometimes, like the you know countdown to Infinite Crisis, and um, what was the other one? The last was it Last Will and Testament? Was that a dollar issue, or am I thinking? No, it was the um, crap. What was that? The one that ended countdown. Um, what was the, it, it had, it had like the, like Grant Morrison, RIP lead in. It had, um, like the blackest night story. It had the final crisis story too. Well, blackest night, Um, the prologue of that was a free comic book day issue. Well, yeah, but no, but this was something else. This was, this was like the, yeah, it had, it had like someone breaking out of the back of a truck. And I want to say it was like kind of John Stewart centric, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering correctly. Um, it, I, I remember it was all together. I can't remember what it was called here. I'll look it up right now. I might've just been DC universe zero. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, it was all of the best stuff ever <laughs> in one thing. It um, really was. Yeah. Wow. DC universe zero link between countdown to final crisis and final crisis, which is completely disingenuous. It was not that at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was basically like a bunch of final crisis stuff. And I want to say it had like a blackest night thing in it. Yeah. Yeah. It had a little blackest night story. It had a a Gail Simone wonder woman story in it as well. Yep. Um, So that's coming you know, ahead of Free Comic Book Day. We also have a new... Are we calling it an event book? A new miniseries? It's called Deceased. And that's D-C-E-A-S-E-D. 
<laughs> Can't believe it's yep, called that. But it's yes. uh, written by Tom Taylor, and it's, and it's illustrated good. by uh, Trevor Harrison, Stefano Guadagnino, Guada, Guadiano, I'm sorry. I always try and get my pronunciations right, and I'm terrible at it. Stefano Guadiano and James Harron, which is super exciting, because James Harron is amazing. Um, Shouldn't you have that Guadiano down, by the way? Isn't this that... is a paisan like me, is that why? Yeah, right. It's it's got a ghoul, I thought. There is no one on the um, Sopranos this... with that name, therefore I can't pronounce it properly. <laughs> yeah, sure there is. A, a, a big pussy Guan, Guadiano. <laughs> That's bumping Saro and you know it. I know. I Yes, I do know it. I love that name. Um, I don't think it's... I don't think it is a big event that's going to have any sort of ramifications uh, in any meaningful way just because um, of the art talent on it. Not that not that the artists aren't talented themselves, but that there's three solicited artists already <laughs> for the first issue. Just lead, I mean, that's not generally the type of thing that comic book companies do with events. They try to sneak that stuff in, right? Usually, if they're big events, they've got you know the name. Right. Like this is right. you're going to get art from Jim Lee or whatever. And then the second issue, they sneak in five artists that you you weren't expecting, right? And also, there's nothing considering what else is in this thing: the Leviathan Rises stuff, the Flash Year One stuff, the Batman stuff. The, this, even though it's a new number one, it feels very second fiddle to everything else. Sure. So to me, to me, it, it either feels like it's going to be a vaguely Elseworlds thing, or if it does take place in the current DCU, it's going to be one of those apocalyptic situations that's all undone by the end and everything goes perfectly back to normal. <laughs> you know? Doesn't it seem that way? Yeah, that sounds about right. But I do wonder if uh, the combination of um, Tom Taylor being a mainly Marvel slash Injustice guy and this um, the sort of kitschy title and the pretty easy to understand, even if you're a comics neophyte plot, isn't going to make it a bigger hit than maybe DC is anticipating. Like mm-hmm. I feel like this has the makings of a breakout thing. This reminds me in a way of like Marvel Zombies, where it's an sure. idea that's that's pretty yeah. simple that can then later on be exploited forever and ever. It kind of even it that is probably like the more accurate comparison, but the thing it made me think of is like the Deadpool kills the Marvel universe stuff. Yeah. Um, which correct me if I'm wrong, isn't, isn't Marvel zombies like it's entire, entirely different earth. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was like a Marvel zombies secret wars thing and, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still like moderately inter I'm less interested than I was. Cause like from the teasers, it seemed like it was maybe going to be this like new God centric thing. And this scene, the, the solicit just seems kind of more generic. Yeah. I'm in for Tom Taylor and yeah, I think it'll be not much else here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A few more small bits of news that are uh, of note about these solicits. Batman The Outsiders, number one, resolicited for May. Batman Dam, number three, resolicited for May. Flash Year One begins here. Um, anything else of note you guys wanted to talk about? Uh, the One of the dang Joker's heads on Last Night on oh, Earth. We, we even talked about Last Night on Earth, yeah. Uh, that gave me the willies. <laughs> much like Zach, I thought that was a Green Lantern. Uh, Lantern, for a second there. You guys are. Why would you think? Because that? I just I looked at it quickly. Because it looked, yeah, it looks like it's all in shadow, but there's like <clears> a little bit of light reflecting off the lantern, and that's why you see that splash of green. I didn't even see the smile on there because the the image so you, I saw was so small. So you guys 
have both forgotten how Scott Snyder has teased and spoiled us for probably more than a year now about this story where Batman's carrying around the Joker's head. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Jesus. Scott, I'm sorry. These these guys these guys I'm doing the show with, I please come back. Don't don't let them dissuade you from coming back on our show. <laughs> I listen to you. No, but you know, it just seems to me like in a very quick moment of looking at it, it's not crazy to think Batman is is carrying a Green Lantern lantern instead of the Joker's head that's glowing. I'm sorry, Scott. I don't Anyway, it's called Batman Last Night on Earth. It's three issues of 56 pages apiece. And uh, this is supposedly the last Snyder Capullo Bat story they're going to tell. It may sure, be the last sure. Batman ever story ever told. <laughs> Maybe. It's time for someone else to get a chance. Do we think this is actually the last Snyder Capullo Bat story? Yeah, absolutely not. No. Well, we're getting we're getting another one in uh, Detective Comics 1000. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Yep. Well, technically, that comes out before this. It does so... come out before. You're right, but just wait until that DC market share is slipping again, and Didio goes, "All right, we're gonna back up the truck, dump truck of money on Capullo's house, get him a new, buy him a new weight room." <laughs> Daddy needs a, a weight room remodel. Do another do another Snyder bat book. Are you guys excited about this book? Oh yeah. I'm down for Snyder and Capullo Batman every day. I I think this will be cool. Um I think this will, could be like a fun Elseworlds type thing. Um yeah, I'm I'm in for this. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really fun, and I do hope, as much as I enjoy these guys on Batman, I do hope it's the last Bat story they ever tell. Because that's first of all, it's just convenient for for on the buy purposes. Um, that's a joke, but uh, <laughs> no, I just think it's good to not let these things drag out for too long, and I would like to see those guys tackle something else. Instead of a bad story. Yeah. Do you think Capullo gets to draw Batman's penis in this? I mean, why is it black label if not? That's what I that's what I say. The Dork Knight. <laughs> that is a Kevin Smith level yeah, joke. Right I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> Uh, it's no butt man, but you know, <laughs> I can only do so much here. It's no cock no, knocker. It's no cock knocker. No, nothing is though. I, uh, I guess, I guess it was a few months ago now, but I had seen that after I saw the last Jedi, I tweeted like no spoilers, but the last Jedi is the best performance from Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher since their iconic roles as Cockknocker and None Who Gets Head in Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back. <laughs> and did Mark Hamill fave He did not, tweet? although he has faved the tweet I did about the, the Kinks one time. He loves the Kinks. Oh, all right. Um, Is that because he, he met him in a swamp down in Dagobah? Exactly, where bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda. I know Darth Vader's really got you annoyed, but remember, if you kill him, then he'll be unemployed. <laughs> Turns out they will be making these movies yep. until the end of time. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> something, something. Uh... I'm waiting for it. Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What are we doing? Weird Al's the best. That's what we have to do. To make sure yeah. we say that. I'm putting I'm putting I'm putting lots of pauses in this now that you've told me that you're you're trimming these. No, up. I trimmed one episode up. I did not commit <laughs> to doing all of them. And I really only trimmed two parts of one episode up, so 
I'm going to make this unlistenable. <laughs> well, <laughs> you started that 150 episodes ago, pal. So, oh, oh! oh! God, I need some air. Man, it stings. Fuck. <laughs> anyway, let's do this. Let's take a break and repair our friendship, and we'll be back with our book reviews just after this. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back. Um, I'm calling a, a slight audible here, boys. We're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to go through our lists first and then do our three reviews. Um, so this week on the good list, we have American Carnage, Teen Titans and the Wildstorm. Any quick comments about these three books? Um, American Carnage is actually on the great list, and the Wildstorm <laughs> is on the Wildstorm <laughs> list, which is the highest ranking that we get. That's right. Uh, we're gonna need. We're gonna have. We're gonna create such an elaborate ranking system that we're gonna need a Wikipedia page <laughs> to like explain you know it this all. Is like this is like when Conan started off with his. Walker, Texas Ranger lever, and then he had like yes. nine levers and things just hanging around his desk for like a month. <laughs> yes. Yeah, is. that was like during the writer's strike yeah. or something. Um, okay. American. I just want to say American Carnage whips ass. Yep. Um, it's every time a new Vertigo book comes out, I think, oh, I really like this Vertigo book. And then I read American Carnage and I think like, oh, but that's the best Vertigo book. So if I ever give you the impression that all these other Vertigo books are are the best Vertigo books. It, they're not. American Carnage is the best one. <laughs> Fair enough. I always, I always forget that, but it's true every time I read it. Um, I know this is a really cliche comparison, but it's the most like The Wire that like any comic has been for a while, I think. And I hate to even make that comparison, but if it gets like one more person to read the book, then I'll make it. But I just love the way that it's so intricately woven yeah um it rules it's it's amazing uh on the okay list we have aquaman catwoman and naomi um for Naomi, so the naomi number five solicit just came out in this in these leaked made solicits and it says something like finally your questions are answered and that just means that the next three issues are going to be just like this one which is that it's a fine comic. It's just that it doesn't really give you anything that you need for the book. This book start, needs to start answering some questions, and it seems like we have a while to go before that's going to happen. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, who could have guessed that that was happening in this book? <laughs> well, I think I think maybe the solicit kind of in conjunction with this issue kind of spoils it a little bit. Um, because if you look at the cover... I mean, this could all just be misdirection. Who knows? But if you look at the cover, it like seems to show Naomi with like some kind of superhero outfit. The thing number five, on, and there's right? like one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the number five cover, and then there's like one kind of like cutaway sequence in this issue that has a character or a bunch of characters wearing similar costumes. Um, so she's, I mean, she's probably like an alien superhero person yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I agree with you guys. This is a very solid book. I, you know, it's to me, it's like a seven out of 10. The art looks gorgeous, but like I'm, I knew it from the moment I read the first issue that like is going to be one of those Bendis books. And I know, I know David Walker is co-writing it too, but like structure, structurally it's, a Bendis Marvel book that I got tired of getting jerked around with the whole way through, you know? 
Um, which is weird to say because like it is a quality comic, but like from a structural perspective, it's like God, like you can just see it happening. <laughs> I'm hoping that once they get everything rolling, that won't be the case. I hope but so we'll too. See. I mean, this issue ends where the first issue ended, so that's not the best. No, and next issue it says the secret, like or the secret history of the DC universe. Yet that's also pretty much exactly what the number five solicit says. So, <laughs> so we'll yeah. see. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that Aquaman is the umpteenth book of late to have a like a secret history, a, a retelling of, a, of an origin of something that may or may not be uh, be important five minutes after you're done reading this issue. <laughs> it, it, it looked really pretty. <laughs> There were some okay parts with it. I'm just really tired of these. I'm really tired of this being the thrust of so many books right now instead of using the characters to tell stories through sequential art instead to just have like these text dumps in front of splashes of mythical creatures. Yeah. And remember when the first issue came out and I wasn't super into it? You all told me I was wrong, and then I liked this issue, and you all told me I was wrong. No, I like this issue. You're, I like this issue right. too. I do remember that. I do remember that. But I, I like this issue too, and yet I can see what Brian is saying in the context of. I do too. I, I'm just giving him. Just yeah, give me I'm the business. Yeah. Yeah. And it brings me. I, I think I said this off the air, but like this particular issue of like secret history mythology building really, really worked for me as a total package. But in general, those aren't the types of stories that I want to see. And one of my things with with DC in particular continues to be like, at this point, they've told all the stories that they basically can about what these heroes have already done. If you're looking to mine any more thematic content out of Aquaman or Wonder Woman, or Batman, or Superman after 80 years, you're not going to get it by going into the past, I don't think. And I just wish somebody would nut up and start telling stories about the future, you know? I even feel like Justice League wants to do that, and and yet they're not. You know what I mean? Like I, I, think, I think those Justice League books, as much as we like them, are teasing like, Oh, there's something beyond. There's something in the future of the DCU beyond this that we just got to get to, and it's going to be unbelievable and wide open. And we keep not getting there, you know, which is fine because I'm enjoying the books along the way. But like, eventually, I want to get there. Yeah. And I just feel I feel like it's all going to be this secret history stuff, and then all of a sudden we're going to reboot and it's going to retell these stories again in some other way. You know what I mean? We're going to get. Uh, Nightfall three, <laughs> you know, we're getting Nightfall two right now. We're gonna have to get Nightfall three, and we're just never gonna we're never gonna get anywhere. Yeah. So it's comics uh, doesn't have to be. I want I want DC comics to be like Dragon Ball. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? Yeah. Uh, on the bad list this week, we have Nightwing. On the New Age of Heroes list, we have Damage. And on the Sandman Universe list, we have Lucifer. (laughs) Uh, Those last two speak for themselves. Uh, This issue of Nightwing is sort of a beautiful disaster. There's so many little weird things happening. Joker's daughter's back. Um, Welcome back. There's a... (laughs) There's a... uh, a sort of really lazy but like well-meaning discussion of gentrification in the issue. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a there's a really weird scene between uh, Babs and and uh, Rick Grayson's current Rick Grayson. fling. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird. It's yeah. weird. It's not not great. Better better than it has been, but yeah, we we can we can probably attribute that to new co-writer Zach Kaplan. It is Zach, right? Yep. 
Yeah. Zach. Didn't look that up. Zach? Zach Wilkerson. Yes. Mm, it me. I fixed it. <laughs> I'll, I'll soon be passing the baton over to one Dan Jurgens. <laughs> oh. Um and and it must be noted in Nightwing sixty in May that there's still the, the Nightwing core. It's still a thing. So uh, that's great. That's what everybody wanted. It's like they read our minds. <clears throat> they aim yep. to please. All right, well, let's get into this, boys. Let's talk about Batman number 65, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Gia March. This is part three of The Price. The Price. We get some gnarly uh, Gotham death stuff. Uh, we get a little bit of um, of Gotham girl motivation. We get uh, a little bit of, of Barry and and Bruce bickering a little bit more. Zach, what'd you think of this issue? I mean, I enjoyed it as much as I have every other issue in this arc so far, but now I'm like really tugging on my collar a little bit, waiting <laughs> on something to happen. Um, it's like, we're getting to like the last, you know, 10 minutes of the episode and, and I don't know. They still haven't, resolved the 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 flashback yet and i don't know i was gonna try and make it a lost thing but <laughs> i couldn't do it um yeah that this there's just not i don't know where this is going it seems like this is how i'm gonna put this if they wanted this to be what i think it's it was set out to be it should have been four like super nonstop packed issues of content. If it's supposed to be connecting the button, which does get referenced here to like what happened to Sanctuary and all of that, it needs to have a lot of pages where characters can talk to one another and things can happen. Instead, we've gotten a more or less fluffy three issues that hasn't addressed too much at all, really. And like Zach said, I'm sort of struggling to see what the purpose of all of this is. Uh, Vince, what say you? Yeah, I mean, I, it's basically what I said last week. And I think, Brian, you made the point that there were two issues of the button two that kind of what? felt like this. The button that, that kind of felt like this. And then, uh, and then like the other two issues were, were jam-packed with this uh, meaning, meaningful stuff happening that, that sort of unlocked the secrets to, uh, you know, how this all linked DC rebirth and, and the Batman and the flash stories and maybe hinted at heroes in crisis a little bit. And, uh, even if you remember, didn't, didn't the, the button have like a, a nod to, uh, Legion of Superheroes. It wasn't um, wasn't Saturn Girl in 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 or or was that a different issue? I think of that Batman? was Batman number one or number two or something. Okay, she, well, I think I think she even maybe showed up in one of those issues where, like, in the. I think it was early on, but I think it, it even happened like a couple other times too, like in one of those Bane arcs. Sure. Okay. So I may be conflating that with this, but still it had like this, this doomsday clock link, right? Mm -hmm. This, this pays a little bit of lip service to a bunch of different arcs, but as far as actual meaningful content is concerned, I'm surprised at how this is really just a Gotham girl story. And I think Joshua Williamson has done a, good enough job of mining that for like, I, like, I actually kind of care more about Gotham girl than I ever thought I would. And yet it still is not enough to, for me to feel like, um, the price was worth it. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, unless there's some big finale. Yeah. Then I, I fail to see why this was an event. And it really, it really feels like a break in both of these titles, 
that could have come at any time and has no reason to really be happening right now. That's my biggest note on it, I think. This just feels like an odd time for this to be happening. Yeah. It's it's funny because it is very much like a Heroes in Crisis thing, and yet it doesn't feel like Heroes in Crisis at all. You know? I'll give you three guesses as to why. Well, we've already covered that, I yeah. think. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did like one one thing I wanted to note uh, in Guillaume March's art. I love the sort of imaginary origin um, of Gotham Girl where uh, they're confronting a robber in Crime Alley and she, she punches his head off like a fucking dandelion. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really that was a really great art. Uh, bit, especially because it wasn't too over the top. I mean, it was about as bloodless as you can realistically draw somebody punching someone else's head <laughs> off. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I feel like that was the way, the due to the way that Guillaume March uh, staged that. So it was really, it was really more funny than it was gruesome, sure, you know? Yeah. Any other notes on Batman? Uh, Gotham Girl goes Super Saiyan at the end. I feel like Zach and I need to mention whenever a character goes Super Saiyan in these in these comics. We did it with Wonder Woman in uh, the Witching Hour, and Zach, back me up on this. I, I agree with you. I was actually you, you, since you since you brought up Dragon Ball again, it it made me feel like I I had a thought when you brought that up earlier about how you wish. Um, comics were more like dragon ball but then i i thought about how like super basically has like yeah I know. <laughs> the trunks arc redux again <laughs> yeah but but, but although it was better I think, I think it was better yeah um there you is know, the the illusion of time moving it's not even the illusion the time is moving yeah exactly like everybody's getting older i know you know sure yeah poor yeah. poor bulma they make jokes about it at her expense all the time <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm pretending I know what all that so, means. Sorry, That's sorry, right. Brian. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> all right. The next uh, Patreon, um, we make Brian watch all of Dragon Ball. Okay, <laughs> I'm in. That'll be nine thousand dollars, please. <laughs> oh, it has to be nine thousand and one, or we won't do it. <laughs> okay. Um. That brings us to High Level, number one, speaking of ones, written by Rob Sheridan, illustrated by Barnaby Begenda. And um, you guys both accompanied me when I interviewed uh, Rob about this book at New York Comic Con, right? Yes. And he had that really cool map that he had made of, like, everything that was happening in the sort of world and uh, showed it to us and... It was the first time, like, you know, reading the the description for the book, it was like, oh, that, that could be interesting. And seeing Begenda on art was really cool. But it was seeing that map that sort of put me in the mindset of, like, oh, I'm interested to see what this book is all about. And, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to hear what you guys would say about this book. Vince, what did you think? Well, I liked it a lot. Um I love the Barnaby Begin to art. It some took me back to some real uh, uh, Omega Men vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't hurt that the setting is basically visually the yeah. same as Omega Men. <laughs> um, but I just think I think that there there's a, there's a lot about this story that could feel kind of like boilerplate sci-fi um because the idea of you know like a like a class struggle in a futuristic um world where resources are scarce and you know some people work as junkers and other people are living this high society high class uh life where they don't have to worry about whatever uh, resource shortage there is or whatever. I mean, it's common sci-fi material to generate conflict, right? 
none of that is like novel here, right? But I think that there's some stuff that first of all, I think Rob Sheridan is already pretty good at writing for the comic medium. I, I think this is his first comic. It is, book. yeah, yeah. I thought I remembered that from the interview, but I, you know, I think we see first-time writers sometimes struggle with over-explaining things or using too much exposition. And I, I really don't think that that's the case here. I think a lot is to- told through dialogue. A lot is done organically. I think there's a lot of really great weaving between the the words and Bagenda's art to give you a little more content. I'm thinking of the scenes where um, 13, the main character, has a little bit of downtime and she's sort of like in, in her home or apartment or whatever it is and she's like playing with her little dancing robot and there's so many things that we see in the art that Sheridan doesn't feel the need to explain like oh this is what she's doing right now she's playing with her dancing but you know what I mean like there are other writers that would explain what all that stuff is that she's doing you know um and so I I felt like that that tandem really worked, even though he doesn't have a lot of experience writing for the comic book. And that could also be said so for thi- just like the class warfare stuff. Like you, yeah, you're, yeah, you're totally. given just enough information to understand it, but you're not overwhelmed with details for no reason. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I really liked it. And there were a lot of, the, <laughs> there were a lot of little homage things in the art or, or at least, like what I saw as homages that, that you could talk about. Like, um, uh, I'm sure I've seen that like buzzsaw robot character with, with the, the like scorpion legs. I'm sure I've seen like a similar design in a sci-fi movie before. Um, you know, some of, some of the design work felt, felt very Mad Max to me. Um, again, that would play in with this like resource limited class struggle type thing that's going on. Um, but, but it all really looked very good on the page. And so, uh, yeah, I, another vertigo book that I think, you know, for the most part hits its mark. Zach. I liked this. I maybe wasn't as high on it as it seems like you two are, but I, I thought it was a a good first issue. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I really, unfortunately, don't feel like I have a ton to say about it. Other than I, it is nice to have Beginda back. And and I do feel like um, Sheridan does do a really good job if this is his first um, issue you know scripting a comic kind of avoiding a lot of the pitfalls that we see like newer comic writers or like is he do do you do we know what industry he came from he was the art director for nine inch nails interesting okay so and um i don't know zach how much of a nine inch nails head you are but there was um an album that came out a couple years ago called year zero and there was a mm-hmm. whole like mythology based around it. I want to say at one point there was talk of an HBO series that was going to f- fit in with that. But like they um, they hid USB drives full of like secret files in the bathrooms of the Nine Inch Nails tour, and there were websites that were encrypted, and there was all this like world building that was happening in this alternate reality game, and. Uh, and that all sort of tied into the themes of the album. And while this isn't that exactly, you can see how Sheridan can take a theme and sort of find lots of interesting ways to go after that theme, even if it's something that might seem trite when like spoken out loud. Like I think if you if you try if you tried yeah. to bal- to break this down to like a very simple explanation, you wouldn't be able to capture the essence of what makes the book special. Yeah, I I think that's interesting about the like world building aspect because I do think that is like the strongest part of this first issue. Um 
Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, yeah. I, it certainly wasn't my favorite of the vertical books that came out recently. And there, are, I think I think Vertigo is doing overall much better after this sort of rebranding than any other one in recent memory. But you know, it's far from a perfect book, but it's still a lot of fun. And I think that Sheridan is the right guy to try this kind of book. And how can you go wrong with Barnaby Begin to Art? There are some absolutely gorgeous pages here. And uh, I'm on board for it. Finally. Sorry. sorry. Uh, hang on. One one more thing about high level. Right. I, I was getting some major Cousin Eddie vibes in Christmas Vacation when she was pumping that sewer. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> Chitter's full. Yeah. Well, finally, we're going to get the Justice League number 18, written by James Tynan IV, illustrated by Pasquale Ferry. This issue takes place primarily in a uh, sort of telekinetic state between Brainiac and Lex Luthor. We get some Vandal Savage stuff. We get some totality stuff. You know, we've been talking a lot lately about how James Tynan's books are just full of secret histories and full of sort of expositional dumps that happen where one character just explains the world to another. And while this issue had some of that, I felt this was one of the more effective issues he's done so far at not totally devolving into that. But there is still a fair amount of secret history happening here. Zach, what did you think? Yeah, there there was a lot of secret history being happen, happening here. Um a lot of like weird one-upmanship between Lex and Berniac as well. You know, they're constantly there's like this power struggle over who has the upper hand. Um I I thought that I I agree with you that it wasn't quite as like dense as in some maybe some previous issues but i think as far as like secret history stuff goes this is less interesting than some of the other stuff like um you know compared to the the lex and martian manhunter right backstory for instance or or you know maybe some of the other stuff that we've had um recently um we do get i i've I don't know if we've really had it like clearly defined and this issue doesn't even do it completely, but uh, this is the closest I feel like that we've had of like a mapping out of what the, the like seven forces are supposed to be. Um, Cause I know we've even, we've had some confusion about that, like fairly recently yeah. even. Um, and this kind of sets it up to where we, we do know about five of them. At least we don't necessarily know about like all of the opposites. Um, I guess that's all kind of like confusing. And I, I think you can kind of like. That's the difference between like a Jeff Johns mythology comic, I guess, and like a Snyder mythology comic. Um, I, f- I feel like Snyder and Tynion get way more excited about the idea. And then and the like what it means for the story they want to tell, as opposed to like the days of like Johnson Tomasi, where they would like meticulously map out this mythology to the point where it would like sometimes take precedent over the plot. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a very astute observation. Vince, what'd you think? I think I probably liked this more than more than you guys did because I like the way okay so we complained about how exposition heavy Tynion's stuff seems to be but I don't think that's true of this issue and I don't think that that was true of his if you remember the first Legion of Doom issue that he did I think it was Justice League number mm-hmm. 4 mm-hmm. I thought that that Justice League number four was a great distillation of everything that this Justice League run was supposed to be. 
as sort of like a primer for somebody who maybe just for for whatever reason picking up the fourth issue alone and trying to get started. And I feel like this issue does that same thing. It basically summarizes Luthor and the Legion of Doom's role in all of this in a really concise little package for everybody again. And I think that I think that that's okay sometimes in comics, and I think it's really helpful here because seeing him go through it all again with Brainiac helped me remember why I was supposed to care about certain things. And so I think, like, some people might find this issue redundant. Other people might find it, again, too expository. But I thought it was, like, the perfect mix of all of that stuff in a recap comic. Now, whether that's worth, like, $3.99 to you is one thing. But I thought this particular issue worked really well. And I liked the battle of... uh, I liked the dick measuring between Brainiac and, and Lex. You know, I thought it I thought it worked really well. And by the end, I was actually convinced because one thing that's tough for a writer to, to do is to convince the reader that the underdog in the beginning becomes has the upper hand at the end, you mm-hmm. know? And I was actually reasonably convinced that like by the end, Lex had convinced Brainiac to play along with him. Which I didn't, ex- I was not expecting that. I also love the way that they showed Vandal Savage throughout this whole thing. I love the way that, uh, that I love the way that they dealt with Vandal Savage. Cause you know, we saw, uh, Lex early on beat him to death with the, with that cosmic doorknob. I love the way that, Tynan takes us to that point again and shows us that it's because Vandal Savage may be immortal, but lacks the imagination to deal with whatever this totality was. Right. right? To the point where another moment that I loved from this, God, I really like this issue. You guys, one moment that I loved is where like Vandal Savage, because Luthor is right about him, Vandal Savage reveals that, rather than dealing with the totality or taking it and trying to use it, he simply shifted the earth away by shedding some of its crust so that the totality never hits it. We know that that doesn't end up being the case, but, but I love that idea, right? I love that. Like the flaw with Bandle Savage is that he can live a billion years, but isn't as smart or the way that Lex puts it as like faithful that he can take this and make something out of it, you know? I I I really think that this issue kind of knocked. I, the more that I talk about it, the more that I like it actually, because um, I think that it knocks that idea out of the park. And then at the end, Vandal Savage is just a real centrist. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> um, oh man, what does that make Lex Luthor? I don't oh, know. But no, we're not gonna we're not gonna do it for that. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> oh wait, I know, I know, say it, I'm say not it. gonna say it. No, is it no, too no, fucked no. up, too raw? <laughs> it's too fucked up. It's too raw. <laughs> no, but what I wanted to end on was then at the very end of the issue, Luthor and Brainiac put their fists up like they're fucking anime bros, <laughs> and that sold this entire thing to me. <laughs> This issue was great, you guys. <laughs> it was fucking great. <laughs> this was like a, this was like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in the DC universe. No, no, I would not go that far. But yes, it is. Yeah, it is. No, it's, like, it's not. Yes, they're he. Lex is uh, Lex is Dio Brando, and Brainiac is Jonathan Joestar, and. Yes, this absolutely works. I'm going to go home and workshop this after we get off. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to have charts and I'm going to look like Charlie from It's Always Sunny. I'm going to have a big chart. You do that. <laughs> you do that. Now, I thought this was uh, way weaker of an issue than the Lex Martian Manhunter issue we got last time. And I know Vince you were not as high on that issue. 
as you seem to be on this. Um, I didn't dislike no, it. And, and I don't dislike this. But, you know, I think that overall the Justice League book is, is a really interesting one because it's not as straightforward and linear as perhaps we thought it was going to be. I just wish we would get a little bit less secret history stuff. Does that do it for this week? I think so. Does anybody have up what we can expect next week? I do. Lay it on us, brother. Uh, Action Comics 108. Bat Batgirl 32. Okay. Batman Beyond uh, 29. Books of Magic 5. That'll go in the Sandman yep. tier, I'm sure. Uh, Detective Comics 999. The Herman Cain edition. Uh, <laughs> Flash 65. Uh, Freedom Fighters number 3. Heroes in Crisis number 6. Everybody's problematic fave. Um, Hex Wives number 5. Justice League Odyssey number 6. Martian Manhunter number 3. Old Lady Harley, the Old Lady Harley finale, actually. Uh, Shazam number three, if this is to be believed. Um, Sideways and Silencer and Terrifics. A big week for the New Age <laughs> uh, Heroes list. Yes, yep. And uh, and Wonder Woman number 65. And do you want to tease the, the special aspect of next week's show or no? Uh, let's just say we may have a, a fellow Multiversity podcaster stopping by. To join the show. We'll leave it at that. Sounds good. So until then, if you had to get in touch with us, you can find two of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at Wilker Fox. If you need to get in touch with Vince, he is working on a new column for Multiversity. It's called Multiversity Exclusives. And essentially, <laughs> he, he... Well, you'll see when he launches. <laughs> This is one of the very few times that Vince has told me that he was truly inspired by another comics journalist to step up his game. And so this is Vince's direct reaction to that. This is such that's that's such an inside baseball joke that Oh god. We'll let, we'll let people figure it out on their own. Yeah. I'm but, sure. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. So if, if Donald Trump is Lex Luthor, then the rest of the Legion of Doom is the freaking cabinet. Am I right? <laughs> You've never been more. So right. who is Mike Pence in this situation? Who is who is the most uh, zealous, true believer of the group? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe Grodd. Okay. Uh, it Solomon, does that make Solomon Grundy? He's not in the group, though. He should be. <laughs> um, so Black Manta <laughs> defected and tried to like go his own way. He's a man going his own way. Who was? Who would he be? Which of the many people who have Steve Bannon? Yeah, he's he's, he's definitely Steve Bannon. Yeah, <laughs> you know he's wearing like two wetsuits under that wetsuit, so he's totally Steve Bannon. Yeah. Um. I want to submit Cheetah as Steve, Stephen Miller. Fake hair? <laughs> well, that and, like, seems the most insane. Sure. Like, the most, like, purely unhinged. Uh, who's the freaking Joker in this? Oh, man. That's, well, I've, I've seen some photoshops where That's true. Donald Trump is also That's the freaking true. Joker, so... Oh, actually, wait. Was Black Mantis the one who was kicked out already? Maybe yeah. he's yeah. Michael Flynn then. Uh, but is Michael... Yeah, that, that, that would make Joker Bannon, and that could work. That yeah. does work, okay. yeah, yes. But, 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 is Black Manta a resistance hero now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And Black Manta Jr. is also arrested somehow. <laughs> that makes that makes Superman freaking Robert Muller, yeah. am I right? Here to save us all. 
who are the uh, I, I guess Putin is Brainiac, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, we're now we're the centrists. 